From TLDR News, this is your daily briefing for Wednesday, the 2nd of November 2022. Good afternoon. Today we're going to be talking about the election in Israel. We'll also be discussing three of today's other important stories and discussing former Health Secretary Matt Hancock's decision to enter the jungle. But first, the return of Benjamin Netanyahu. 18 months after being ousted from government, Israel's longest-serving Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is set for a political comeback after Israel voted in its fifth election in less than four years. This year's election became inevitable after the broad eight-party governing coalition collapsed in June. The coalition had been formed in June 2021, after a series of elections failed to produce political stability. The coalition was made up of parties from across the left-right spectrum and also included Arab parties. They only ever really agreed on one thing. That was, remove Benjamin Netanyahu from the top job. With a razor-thin majority, they successfully relegated Netanyahu to the opposition benches after his 12 consecutive years as Prime Minister. However, their shaky coalition would not survive much more than a year. Defections, rebellions and infighting prompted Naftali Bennett, the Prime Minister at the time, and Yair Lapid, the then Foreign Minister, to dissolve the Knesset and call an early election, saying that attempts to stabilise their disparate coalition had been exhausted. Yesterday's election was widely seen as a vote in favour or against the return of Benjamin Netanyahu. Exit polls on the night forecast Netanyahu's right-wing bloc to win 61 or 62 seats in the 120-seat legislature. His bloc consists of his Likud party, the far-right religious Zionism group, as well as other smaller religious conservative parties. At time of writing, with 85% of the vote counted, Netanyahu's right-wing bloc are projected to secure 65 seats, though the final tally may shift as the remaining votes are counted. Netanyahu spoke to cheering supporters, saying, We are close to a big victory, adding that we have won a huge vote of confidence from the people of Israel. Netanyahu's return to power is significant and controversial. He's still on trial for corruption, including alleged bribery, fraud and breach of trust. He strongly denies the charges. The parties making up his political bloc would also constitute the most right-wing government in Israel's history, as he is allied with the ultra-nationalist religious Zionism group, who are set to be the third largest party in the Knesset. Their figurehead, Itamar Ben-Gavir, is a controversial lawyer who, in 2007, was convicted of incitement to racism and supporting a terrorist organisation. Mr. Ben-Gavir, who is reportedly seeking to be security minister, was disqualified from national military service when he was 18 due to his association with extreme organisations. Ben-Gavir vowed, as results came in, to be part of a completely right-wing government, but added that he'll work for all of Israel, even those who hate me. As things stand, the left-wing Meretz party is just short of the 3.25% threshold to be represented in the Knesset, as are the Arab Balad party. Their failure to win any seats would further boost Netanyahu's prospects of returning to government. Though if they scrape past the threshold, as the final votes are counted, then Netanyahu's projected majority would be slashed or even denied. 
Israel's centrist caretaker prime minister, Yair Lapid, urged his supporters not to give up hope and said nothing is final until the last vote is counted. However, Haaretz reported that Lapid had instructed his staff to prepare for an orderly transfer of power. Supporters of Netanyahu have hailed his likely return to power and, if projections are correct, then his new government could bring stability to Israel after years of seemingly back-to-back -back elections. But others fear that Netanyahu's bringing of ultra-nationalists into government is bad news for Arab citizens and could also result in attempts to do away with Netanyahu's legal troubles. Okay, so that's the biggest story of the day, but there's a lot more going on around the world. So here's a rundown of three other stories. Yesterday, Denmark held an early election after the Social Democrat minority government of Met Frederiksen collapsed earlier this year. Frederiksen saw her popularity slip during the COVID pandemic when she ordered the culling of the country's captive mink population over fears of a mutant COVID strain. The cull devastated the country's fur industry and an inquiry later found that this order was illegal. An election was called after the Social Liberal Party threatened a vote of no confidence unless Frederiksen called an early election, which she did. Despite the scandal, Frederiksen has won a new mandate to remain Prime Minister after the Red Bloc, composed of left-of-centre parties, won a very slim majority with 90 seats in the 179-seat parliament. Frederiksen's Social Democrats came top with 27.5% of the vote, their best showing since 2001. The right-wing Blue Bloc won 73 seats, while the new Moderate Party, led by a former Prime Minister, won 16 seats and had refused to align with either the left or right blocs in a bid to become a kingmaker of sorts. Frederiksen has said that she wants to form a broad coalition across the left-right divide, but this may be challenging as many left-wing allies want a left-leaning government. There's more on the way, but be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to make the daily briefing part of your daily routine, or just search for us on your podcast app to listen along. In a period of high tension today, both South Korea and North Korea have fired missiles at the pair's disputed sea border. This started when the North fired a missile that landed only 60 kilometres away from the city of Sokcho, which is part of South Korea. It should be noted that the missiles landed outside the South's territorial waters, which extend only as far as 12 nautical miles from their coast. South Korea responded by firing three air-to-ground missiles past the sea border, which is sometimes referred to as the Northern Limit Line. The North said of the exchange that the South and the US would pay the most horrible price in history if they carry on with joint military drills. This has been seen as a veiled nuclear threat by the North, who are now expected to resume nuclear weapons testing after a five-year break. The UK's Home Office has come under fire this week for the worsening conditions at an overcrowded migrant centre in Manston, Kent. In essence, this centre was built with the aim of being able to house between 1,000 and 1,600 migrants who would simply pass through the centre and be there for no longer than 24 hours. Right now, according to Conservative MP Roger Gale, there are about 4,000 people at the facility. The Home Office refuses to comment on the exact numbers. There are some reports of people being held there for upwards of 30 days. 
The Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, was reportedly told three weeks ago that families were being held for up to a month, which could be putting the government at risk of breaking the law. In her defence, the Home Secretary told MPs that on no occasion did I block hotels or veto advice to procure extra and emergency accommodation. And finally today, we're ending the main briefing with a positive news story. Today, about the United States Postal Service's Operation Santa. This year, the Postal Service is allowing children to send letters to Santa and have provided an address to do so. Adults are able to read these letters online and are able to adopt any of the letters. Within the letters will be gift requests from Santa, which participating adults can choose to purchase and send back to the USPS, who will, in turn, give to the children for Christmas. The gifts will be signed from Santa. We've provided all links to all FAQs in the description below. That's all we have time for on YouTube today, but if you want to see our discussion of the decision of Matt Hancock to enter the jungle, then watch the extended ad-free edition of The Daily Briefing over on Nebula. Nebula subscribers not only get everything you've already watched ad-free, but also an extended edition of the show every single day, available to watch on Nebula or stream on your podcast app of choice. So if you want to support the channel and get a more extensive daily briefing every day, you'll want to sign up. And there's good news. Our friends at CuriosityStream, the streaming service which offers some of the best documentaries, is offering a deal whereby you can get both platforms, CuriosityStream and Nebula, for less than $15 a year. That's all the best documentaries you could want on CuriosityStream and then more TLDR on Nebula, including the extended briefing, other full exclusive TLDR videos, and it's always ad-free. Click the link below to get both services for less than $15 a year and support the channel.